So we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll be reading from verses 6 to 16 today. It says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So I've said it before, one of the biggest differences between uh, my wife and I is my wife is into the details and I am not. And so if it was coming to cleaning the bathroom, for example, you know, I would wipe it down, make sure there's nothing on the ground, maybe hose down the tub a little bit, and I would be walk away pretty satisfied with how it looked. But my wife would scour it from top to bottom so much so that you could eat dinner and use the toilet as kind of a table in there. She's into the details. I'm not. When it comes to birthday cards, I'll fill out a birthday card and basically put happy birthday, the end. Stephanie will write a short novel in those birthday cards. So that's the difference between Stephanie and I. So it was the, week, the day before Thanksgiving last year, and Stephanie always makes pies for Thanksgiving. Again, difference between me and her, if it was me making the pie, I would just go to the store, buy one of those like pre, pre-made crusts, throw a few apples in it, throw a little cinnamon sugar on top, there's your pie. Stephanie doesn't do that. She looks up these recipes for the crust and for the whole thing, and she spends an extended amount of time making these pies. So she's working on these pies, and she's spending hours, you know, making them just perfectly. And she not only made the pies, but she put this, like, lattice on the top. And so, you know, I, I kind of see the progress of her working on them, and then I look and see, and like, it looked like something out of Martha Stewart magazine. It was just beautiful. And so she had finished one. I think both of them were finished. One was in the oven, and I'm sitting on the couch in the living room, and she's in there just kind of working on the other ones you know, while the one's baking. And I hear, Matthew, 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 come here. So I run there as fast as I can, and she's like, the stove is on fire. The stove is on fire. And I stood there for a moment, and I just, I didn't panic. I was just kind of processing it, just kind of seeing what's going on and what should I do. She didn't really like my hesitation. She's like, you got to do something. The house is going to burn down. And so I opened up the stove, took the fire extinguisher, and just extinguished the fire. The good news was the fire was extinguished, but I felt really bad. The pies were all ruined. And all of that time that she spent on those pies was for naught. They looked perfect, but they had the dust from the extinguisher on them. 
we all have those moments of decision, right? And I wish that I would have taken the time to just pull those pies out before I sprayed uh, the bottom of the oven. We have those moments of decision, moments where we experience a crisis and we're faced with this, uh, you know, problem of what's going on. We try to figure what's going on, and second, how do I respond to what's going on? Now, for me, it was relatively simple. It was a little fire in an oven. But I think we're all dealing with something even bigger than that. I think we're dealing with, in a sense, a world that's on fire. We face a world that's full of division. We face a world that's full of problems within. Division, ungodliness, problems without, problems in places like Afghanistan, problems with our leadership, not to mention COVID. In the passage that we're looking at, Paul talks a lot about wisdom. And I like the way that one Greek dictionary, the, the BDAG dictionary, defines wisdom. It defines it this way, the capacity to understand and to function accordingly. It's understanding, analyzing the situation, and responding appropriately. And Paul's going to say a lot about wisdom in this passage. But what's interesting is up to this passage, Paul has been very negative about the idea of wisdom. So in 117, chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says that he came to preach not with, eloquent, with words of eloquent wisdom. In uh, 118, he cites Isaiah 29, which says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. In verses 26 to 27, Paul says, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, but God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. In chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says that I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So he speaks negatively a lot about worldly wisdom, but here he is in this passage saying, yes, human wisdom can't do all that much, but there is a wisdom that comes from God that is meaningful. And he says that he imparts that wisdom to the mature. And when he's talking about the mature, uh, he's talking really about all Christians. He's not talking about a special class of Christians like regular Christians and special Christians. He's talking about anyone who's a believer in Christ. And so Paul's going to talk a lot about this wisdom. So I'd like to look with you for just a couple minutes about first, what are the characteristics of this wisdom that Paul talks about? And second, how do we gain this wisdom that Paul talks about? First thing Paul tells us about this wisdom that comes from God is that God's wisdom is hidden and secret. He says, but we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom from God. Now, when we talk about, hear about a secret and hidden wisdom, uh, maybe our minds go to some like weird secret society or creepy cult or something like that. Like I had a relative who was part of a secret society, the Masons, and it was like, you really didn't know what it about. I still to this day do not fully understand what the Masons are about, and I, that's the way they like to keep it. It's like you have to be initiated. You have to be a part of the group. You have to go through the membership to understand what it's about. And that's not exactly, I, I don't think, what Paul is talking about here. Paul is primarily talking about things that are hidden in plain view, that are evident to everybody, but not everybody understands them. They don't click with everybody. Everybody can see them, but not everyone can understand them or know them. So before I became a parent, I, was, I, I didn't know anything about raising kids whatsoever. Never took care of kids when I was, was little. I was the oldest, had one brother, didn't really have a lot of siblings that I or relatives that I would take care of. 
So me and my wife get pregnant, and uh, we had baby shower. And people bring all of these items for us for this baby shower. And to me, it's like these items are really weird. Like you have this thing called a bulb syringe that sucks the little baby's the, the mucus out of his nose. It's like, that's weird. Is that really necessary? You have diaper genies. It's like, I've had a garbage my whole life. Do I really need a special garbage for these diapers? And then you have burp cloths and swaddles. It's like, how do you swaddle a baby? How do you make sure you don't suffocate them? You have sound machines. And I see all of these items, and I go to pick them up, pick Stephanie up in these items, and I'm just looking, I'm like, what is all this stuff? And of course, I'm not an idiot. I knew, in theory, what they were all for. But then after I had a child and Paul had a blowout, I'm like, yeah, we really need a diaper genie. We don't want to throw this in the regular garbage. We want to cover this up and hide it as best we can. And when we haven't slept in like three days, yeah, we need to swaddle him. We need to put this sound machine. Anything that we can do to get him to go to sleep would be helpful right now. And when he can't breathe, oh, it's kind of weird, but that bulb syringe came in kind of helpful. I mean, it's all of these things that existed. I knew what they were for in theory, but they didn't make sense to me until after I became a parent. It wasn't that they changed, it was that I changed. And the same thing is true with the wisdom of God. It's not that it's a secret wisdom that nobody can see, nobody can know. It's hidden in plain view. Everybody can see it. Not everybody understands it. That's what Jesus talks about in his ministry. There are so many people who see Jesus but don't understand his ministry. Paul here gives the example of the cross. People didn't understand what Jesus was doing. He would say things and they would be so confused by what he says often. That's why Jesus says several times in the gospel, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, he's not saying... Some people don't have any ears, that their ears have been chopped off. They're not physically able to hear. He's saying there's some people that the sound goes into their ears, but they don't understand what's happening. Jesus says also something remarkable in Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 10 to 11. Jesus says, it says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Everyone heard what Jesus said. Not everybody knew what he meant or what God was doing. So how does this play out in our lives? How does the wisdom of God, the secrecy of the wisdom of God, play out in our lives? Well, there's things that happen in our lives that don't make sense to people who are not believers. So we have all these bad things that are happening in our world, and the world says, the sky is falling. We need to take cover. And, and, and many in the world today are just kind of freaking out. But as believers, we know the secret, that God's in control. Even when it seems like there is chaos, it seems like there's no plan, God is in control. He's going to see us through. When the bank account is empty and we don't have enough money, the world tells us we should worry. So think, I'm going to starve to death. I'm not going to have a place to live. But God's word tells us that he cares for us. That if he cares for the sparrow, he'll care for us. We don't have to be anxious. I mean, everybody experiences these things. Everyone can see these things, but for believers, there's a secret. 
that we know that God is working. We know that God has a plan. When a person that we love is sick, we can freak out because we can't control it or we can trust that God has that person in, our, in his hands. See, wisdom in a biblical sense is not primarily about knowing things that are secret or special. It's about seeing the world as it truly is, seeing the world in a different way. So God's secret, or God's wisdom, Paul says, is secret and hidden. Not everyone sees it. The second thing Paul says is that God's wisdom is unimaginable. He quotes a passage from the Old Testament and saying, What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. See, what we see God doing in our world today is not what we would expect him to be doing. It doesn't accord with human wisdom. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we really honed in on this idea, and we talked about this idea of how God, God's plan for our lives is crazy. It doesn't make sense from a human perspective. And we talked about the fact of how the cross didn't make sense from a human perspective. It didn't make sense to Greeks or to Jews for different reasons. The Greeks thought to themselves, how can a God who's strong and mighty and powerful die on a cross? Jews thought, how can the Son of God, someone who's holy and righteous, be cursed by God on a cross? They both couldn't understand the cross. It was foolishness to both of them. When we see God, the way that God's working doesn't always accord with human wisdom. It doesn't always make sense, but the good news is it's better than we could ever imagine. It's better than we could ever dream up. It goes beyond our wildest imaginations. I'm not going to go any further on that because we talked about it a couple weeks, but Paul declares the truth that God's wisdom is unimaginable. Third, and, and, and perhaps the most important point that, God, that Paul reveals in this passage, I'll use the words of Thomas Schreiner, a scholar, he puts it well, in that God's wisdom is not discovered, it's revealed. God's wisdom is not discovered, it's revealed. He says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. One thing that marriage has taught me is that we tend to be terrible mind readers, you know, we think we know what our spouse is thinking, you know, and maybe we have evidence in our mind that he or she said things a certain way or that they did a certain thing and it means a certain thing. And we have all these ideas of why our spouse is thinking something and more often than not, we're wrong. We're dead wrong. But somehow we think that we can read each other's minds. Imagine the difference between uh, a way that a husband would write in their journal and a wife would write in their journal. The wife writes, Tonight my husband was acting weird. We had made plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. Conversation wasn't flowing. So I suggested that we go somewhere quiet so we could talk. He agreed, but he didn't say much. I asked him what was wrong. He said nothing. I asked him if it was my fault that he was upset. He said he wasn't upset. It had nothing to do with me and not to worry about it. On the way home, I told him that I loved him. He smiled slightly and kept driving. When we got home, I, he just sat there quietly and watched TV. He continued to seem distant and absent. Finally, with silence all around us, I decided to go to bed. About 15 minutes later, he came to bed, but I still felt he was distracted, and his thoughts were somewhere else. He fell asleep. I don't know what to do. His journal, he writes this, Rough day, car wouldn't start, can't figure out why. We tend to 
assume or wonder what other people are thinking. And the only really way to know what another person is thinking is if they tell us. And we can have ideas. Most often they're wrong. The only way to know for sure what another person is thinking is if they tell us. If only that husband would have said, hey, uh, honey, I'm really worried about this car. I've tried for the life of me to fix it. I can't fix it. It's driving me crazy. Of course, as guys, we don't always do that. We don't always communicate the best. Other husbands, of course, not me. People don't know what we're thinking unless we tell them. The same thing is true with God. We don't know what God is thinking. We don't know God's wisdom unless he reveals it to us. That's why Paul says uh, in verse 11, for who knows the person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. In other words, he says, you can't know another person's thoughts unless they tell it to you. They're the only ones who really know for sure what they're thinking. And the same thing is true with God. You can't know God's thoughts unless he tells you, unless he reveals it to you. And uh, the only one who knows what God's thinking, Paul says, says, is God's Holy Spirit. And so God's wisdom cannot be discovered. It cannot be understood by more study or more effort. It can only be revealed by God's Spirit. And so people who are unbelievers, they can't understand God's wisdom. They can understand knowledge. They can understand some of what God has done or how God has created the world, but they can't understand the why beneath the surface. Uh, John Lennox, Lennox, science writer in his book, God's Undertaker, uh, uses the following story to illustrate this. He says, let us imagine that Aunt Matilda has made a beautiful cake and we take it along to be analyzed by a group of the world's top scientists. The nutrition scientists would tell us about the number of calories in the cake and its nutritional effect. The biochemicals will inform us about the structure of proteins, fats, etc. in the cake. The physicists will be able to analyze the cake in terms of fundamental particles. And the mathematicians will no doubt offer us a set of elegant equations to describe the behavior of those particles. We have certainly been given a description of how the cake was made and how its various ingredients relate to each other. But suppose I now ask the assembled group of experts a final question. Why was the cake made? The grin on Aunt Matilda's face shows she knows the answer, for she made it for a purpose. But all the scientists in the world would not be able to answer the question. And it is no insult to their disciplines to state the incapacity to answer it. Their disciplines cannot answer the why questions connected with the purpose for which the cake was made. In fact, the only way we shall ever know an answer is if Aunt Matilda reveals it to us. But if she does not disclose the answer to us, the main plain fact is that no matter uh, of scientific analysis will enlighten us. In order for God's, for us to understand God's purposes, to know God's wisdom, he has to reveal that wisdom to us. Now, we know that God has revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself through the scriptures, which is uh, God's Holy Spirit speaking through men throughout the ages that God uh, brought together into uh, a, a book that we could read, that we could have, that we would have everything that we need for salvation and to live godly lives. So we know we have the scriptures, and that's God's speech to us. But even that is not enough. Even God's scripture is not enough unless God's spirit reveals it to us. I mean, it's amazing throughout the history of the church how the Bible has been used to justify the most terrible things imaginable. It's been used to, ju to justify racism, 
used to justify genocide, the degradation of women, child abuse. It's been used to support so many different things, and you wonder, why is that the case? How could the Bible, God's communication, God's speech, God's heart, be used for such terrible circumstances to support such terrible atrocities? And I think the primary answer for why that happens is that when people who are not believers, and every believer, everyone who's a believer has the Holy Spirit living inside of him or, or herself, but people who are not believers, they read the, the Bible without the Holy Spirit and they hear what they want to hear. They take what they want to take. And so if you're not a believer and you take a God's word, you can use it and make it point to anything you want it to. I mean, it's a big book. It covers a lot of topics. And you could probably do the same thing with any book. That if you want to find evidence for your viewpoint, you could find it if you don't have the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. The sad truth is it happens even with people who are kind of close to God's Word. People who are so-called believers. People who perhaps even go to church each week. On May 18, 1980, uh, Mount St. Helens erupted. Some of you uh, maybe remember where you were at that point. Maybe you lived in a place that you could actually hear uh, or feel that eruption. It was like a nuclear bomb went off. And uh, people from hundreds of miles away just describe how it was just so loud and so massive and just an earth-shattering kind of event. And then people wondered, so what would it be like to be like a mile away from Mount St. Helens? What would it be like to be right in the wake of that mountain? And so rescue crews went and, and rescued some people who were close to this mountain. And what they found astonished them they found that these people didn't hear anything. They had no idea that it had even erupted. They had seen the clouds in the sky, the ash that had gone up, but they figured it was just storm clouds that were coming. And scientists discovered that what had happened was they were in what was called a zone of silence. And just like the volcano erupted up, the sound waves traveled up and went into the atmosphere and just bounced back and forth. And so you could, I don't know the physics of how that happened, but you could be very close to this mountain and not have any idea that it had erupted. And I think in the same way, we can be very close to God's Word. But if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we can't know God's will. We can't know God's wisdom. That's why people can study the Bible their whole lives and yet be atheists. That's why people can go to church each and every week and yet not know God. That's why people can go to seminary or even become a pastor and not know the simple truth of John 3.16. God can reveal himself to anyone. He can reveal himself even to a little child. A little child can understand the gospel better than any of us better than the person who studied the Bible their whole life. That's the truth and power of the gospel. So God's wisdom is revealed to us, not discovered. Final thing that Paul says is that God's wisdom sees the world as it is. The spiritual person, he says, judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. Now, we need to be careful here. This is another verse that has been misinterpreted a lot uh, all right, like a believer judges all things like they should be judging everyone. That's not what it means at all. 
Probably a better way of translating is assesses. The spiritual person is always kind of assessing what is happening. Always asking those questions. So what is happening? What is God doing? And how should I be responding to that? So the spiritual person, the person who's a believer in Christ, all of us are spiritual if we're believers in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. Things happen in our lives and we're assessing, judging, what is God doing? What is he calling me to do in this situation? And then it says in the text that he's judged by no man. The reason he says he's judged by no one, again, it's not saying that believers are above criticism or we can just do whatever we want. But he's saying that a person who's not a believer isn't able to judge someone who's a believer. I mean, we have a different way of doing things, a different mindset. Of course, they can say, you know, they can tell if we're being idiots or we're being jerks. They can point that out to us. But if we're walking with God, they're not able to judge our walk with God because they don't understand like we do. Think of it this way. Have you ever gone to a 3D movie before? Uh, and, of course, you, to watch a 3D movie, you have to put the glasses on to be able to see it. But imagine you go to a 3D movie and you go into the theater and you don't have the glasses. Not only do you not have the glasses, but there's no sound. The sound isn't working for the video. And so as you watch the video, you can see images, but it's all blurry. You can't really tell what's going on. Sometimes you think you know what's going on. You have your best guess what's going on, but you really don't know. That's the picture of an unbeliever, a person who doesn't have the Spirit of God. It's like the things that happen in this world, it's just kind of all blurry. You can kind of guess what's happening, but oftentimes you're wrong. Then next, imagine that you go into the movie theater. You still don't have the glasses, but the sound is working. And you're watching the screen, and it's blurry, but you can hear what's happening, and you know more or less what's happening. There's some parts that it's a little bit unclear because of it's blurry and the sound doesn't really help you, but for the most part, you know what's happening. I think that's a picture of a person who's a believer who has the Holy Spirit, but not necessarily walking with God. It's like they know the story, they know what's happening, but they can't see it clearly. Then if you imagine a person, you go into the theater, you have the glasses on, the sound is working, you can hear everything perfectly, and that's a picture of the believer who's walking with God. They can see what God is communicating. See it clearly. doesn't mean that you can understand everything that you'd ever want to know. If you go to watch a movie, you can only understand, you can only know what the filmmaker has communicated, right? I mean, you might have questions. Why did it end that way? Why did this person or that person do this? Why didn't the filmmaker do it this way? You can have a lot of questions, but what the filmmaker communicates, you can see and see clearly. The same thing is true for those of us who are believers when we're walking in step with the Holy Spirit. We can see the world as God has commanded, uh, shown it to be. We can see what God has revealed to us with clarity. So those are the four things that, God, uh, that Paul reveals to us about God's wisdom. We're, we're, we live in a world in need of wisdom. And Paul shows us that God's wisdom is secret, it's hidden, it's hidden in plain view. God's wisdom is unimaginable. It's better than we could ever imagine, better than we could ever think of. It's revealed, not discovered. It's not something we can gain by hard work or effort. And God's wisdom sees the world as it is. But the final question, and really the most important question, is how do we gain wisdom? How do we become people of wisdom? And I think the Bible is very clear that the way that we 
know wisdom. The way that we grow in wisdom is by growing in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The reason I say that is the Holy Spirit's a person. The Holy Spirit is uh, three persons, one God, existing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. If we're going to have wisdom, we need to have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to live in relationship with Him. Again, wisdom is not gained primarily through study or hard work, even though those things might be good things. It's gained through a relationship. Now, I was born 40-some years before World War II. But as a child, I always wondered what it would be like to live through a world war. My grandfather served in World War II. He served as in the Navy in the Pacific Theater of World War II. And I remember as a child, I would stay over at his house, and I would ask him almost each time I stayed over, tell me a story. Tell me a story about the war. Tell me what it was like to be there. And he told me all of these stories. And I just learned so much about it and about his heart through that. Now, to this day, each time I you know, read about World War II or watch a documentary about World War II, I think of it through the lens of my grandfather. I think of it through the lens of a person. You know, I think about any other war that, you know, it, that ever happened, I read about it. It's not the same as World War II because I knew my grandfather was there. I knew from his personal experience of telling me what it was like because I had a relationship with him. The same thing is true with our relationship with God. We can do all the right things. We can read the Bible. We can listen to sermons. And those things are good things. But those things are not ultimate things. Those things are things that God uses for our relationship with him. And so when we approach God's word, we should not approach it primarily, hey, what can I learn today? Or give me a roadmap for my life. It's, God, what do you have to reveal to me today? God, what do you want to show me about yourself? What do you want to show me about your circumstance today? It's not about information. It's about a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so we grow in our relationship with Christ through, uh, we grow in wisdom through our relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's a group of people called the Desert Fathers. And the Desert Fathers were a group of uh, kind of mystics and monks that, that in the early church that decided they were going to separate themselves from the world. And so they, they formed this community out in the desert where they just had a really simple manner of life. And they just devoted themselves to avoiding any temptations and anything uh, that, would keep, that would bring them into evil. And they tried to honor God the best that they could. Not, not necessarily the best approach to godliness, but that's what they did. And so there was this group of people. Uh, the leader was named uh, Abba Anthony. And he had these disciples, one of whom was named Abba Joseph. And this old teacher wanted to test the disciples. And so he asked them about this passage. He brought out this passage of Scripture. And he said, what do you think about this? What's your interpretation of this passage? And he went from oldest to youngest. And uh, they went in through and they told, them, they told the, the teacher, there are great interpretations. There are theories about this passage of Scripture. But after each one, he said, you do not understand then he comes to Abba Joseph, the youngest. He asked him, what do you think the text means? 
And he replied, I do not know. Then Abba Antony said, Truly Abba Joseph has found the way. For he said, I do not know. And saying he did not know, it was an acknowledgement that I need help. I need someone to show me. I need God's Holy Spirit. That's a good place, good starting place for all of us. A place of inviting Christ, inviting the Holy Spirit to guide us, to give us the wisdom we lack. In James, James 1, chapter 5, James says this, if, you, uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. It's not a secret. It's not something that it's hard to earn. All we have to do is be in relationship with Christ and ask him. And he desires to give us wisdom. He desires to give us strength and wisdom through the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus says this, If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly, will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If we want to have wisdom, we need to grow in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And all we need to do is cry out to him, ask him, acknowledge we don't have all the answers. We don't know what we need to know. We need God's Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to us. And like a good father, he will answer that request. And he will show us what we need to know. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you are a good and perfect heavenly father. We thank you that you're a God who offers us wisdom. A wisdom that is without price. A wisdom that's unearned. A wisdom that's revealed to us that even the smallest of child, children can understand. Lord, help us to be people of wisdom. Help us to be people of humility. Help us to be people who rightly handle your word, who understand what you've communicated in your word to us, that your Holy Spirit would guide us. As we're living in a world that seems like it's on fire, Lord, give us the wisdom to know what's happening and how we should respond in a way that would honor you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.